Welcome to the Caspian Podcast, the podcast of the Caspian Post with me, Mark Elliott. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Caspian Podcast. Today, uh, for the first time ever on our show, we have a, an acting uh, present-day real-life ambassador. Um, it's Elin Silimanov, who's... Uh, uh, the pre- the uh, <laughs> I can't even get it out. Come on, Mark, it, who is the uh, ambassador of Azerbaijan in the United Kingdom. Previous to that, he was ambassador in the United States. I'm see uh, definitely gone up in the world from my point of view, and uh, possibly the only ambassador ever to have appeared on Comedy Store. Is that really true? <laughs> good to see you, Mark. Yes, we had a very interesting uh, recording with our good friend Jim Jeffers and Comedy Store. Uh, uh, Comedy Channel, Comedy Central in the United States. Um, I laugh at this now. I didn't laugh that much uh, when it was recorded. But, uh, but I'm very grateful for his mercifulness because um, we recorded for six hours and only got about four or five minutes uh, in the program. So I think that's, that's a good Really? Thing. Oh, my goodness. Was it fun doing it or was it just almost embarrassing? I mean, I think it's very, very hard when you've got very skilled comedians. There's almost nothing you can say where you don't become the butt of the joke. I, I kept becoming a butt of a joke. It was very funny for everybody involved, including my staff, which were, they were laughing all the way. It was a little bit more embarrassing than funny for me. But now when I look back, it's this kind of funny. But he's such a great comedian. I mean, he was so good. He was so good. Well, it's a very daring thing to do as an ambassador. Now, I think one of the things, I mean, I think to give people a sense of what it's like to be an ambassador, we have the idea that you can, you know, barely speak your mind, that you're sort of almost a a mouthpiece for a country. To what extent is that true? And to what extent, do you know, are are you able to express your personality? Sounds like quite a lot. (laughs) Well, first of all, of course, we are... The, we're speaking for our country, we're speaking for our foreign policy. That's, uh, that's what ambassadors do, that's our job. But of course, everybody, every each one of us is a, is a human being. We bring our own uh, character, we bring our own views into this. That's, that's, part of a, that's part of a job. And it's part of a fun, actually, being an ambassador. Although I have to tell you that much of it is not very much fun. Um, you know, there's a misleading perception of ambassadors always hanging out with some deceptions drinking champagne and having a high-level conversation without much meaning. The reality is you spend a lot of time on uh, personnel issues, on logistics issues, uh, on issues uh, which are related to technical matters, definitely financial issues. This is a big deal because you have, you know, uh, the embassy must function. There are some logistical matters. So uh, it is an all-around position in which very little time actually is spent drink, drinking champagne somewhere. And I don't even like champagne that much, too. Honestly speaking, that's actually a good thing. So, uh, but of course, uh, it also depends on the country. You, uh, each uh, nation, each place has a different, uh, uh, different environment, different customs, different rules, uh, different people, and I. Uh, that's a very enriching. Experience. That's a great thing, but also you kind of have to adapt to where you are. Uh, and uh, you know, it does seem to me that you looking looking at your uh, admittedly only on Wikipedia, but looking at your sort of biography, you were um, the consul general at um, in Los Angeles, and then you've been almost ten years in the states, if I've if I've got that right. I mean, you must have spent half your life abroad. Yes, and I, I tell you something. I, I went to school in the United States twice. I got two master degrees from uh, the University of Toledo in Ohio. And from Fletcher School, and I worked under 
uh, our first ambassador, Ambassador Pashaev, Hafiz Pashaev in Washington as well. So it's a very long, it's almost, two, I think it's over two decades uh, in the United States. And it's been an extremely interesting experience, including, by the way, places like Ohio, because many people don't go, you know, Toledo is right on the highway. So everybody passes through Toledo. I know almost everybody who's had a coffee or a sandwich uh, in Toledo, nobody spent two years like I did. So I know it quite well. It's a beautiful place. Americans are great people, and America is a great country. Uh, in Washington, uh, you know, it's two decades uh, working there in different capacities. One full decade as ambassador was very interesting, a fascinating place. But also, I really, I really like Los Angeles. It's, it's Western states are open. There's a lot of space. There, there's a lot of freshness. People are very open-minded. I, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, there was a challenge of a very heavy presence, Armenian presence in uh, Los Angeles area. It's a challenge to us. But I think in a way, uh, it's almost an opportunity. It's almost an opportunity for conversation. Perhaps there is something there we could talk. I mean, not all Armenians are hostile, hostile towards Azerbaijan or Turkey. Uh, it's a very diverse community as well. Uh, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, we are neighbors uh, in one way or another. And literally, we were neighbors in Los Angeles, to be, to be honest. And yeah. we opened up a mission uh, in, uh, in 2006. And I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I'm very grateful uh, to President Aliyev to uh, entrust me with opening the uh, mission there. And we went there. We went there with a small group of people. It was, it was fascinating. It was almost like explore somewhere in the West Coast. You know, you go and open this mission. <laughs> Pioneering, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I mean, we, we have talked recently to, to people from uh, Bright Garden Voices, which is one of these uh, grassroots ways of gaining communication. I mean, I, I think, again, the, the, it's, not, it's really nice to have you on and we see you as a human being, because I think there is this often this sense that in the higher echelons of power, um, there isn't enough encouragement for, for people at the lower levels to talk. But it sounds like that's exactly what you have been trying to do and trying to encourage communication. I think that comes from top down. I think, in fact, you could see that... Uh, Azerbaijani side and the special president Aliyev and uh, and from top down, people are encouraging the conversation. We're trying to talk. We're trying to reach out to Armenia to Armenians because we want to have a peaceful neighborhood. I mean that's very important for us. That's moving forward to build a relationship with a with our neighborhood. It's it's so important because otherwise there is no future. I mean there is there is a future, but it will be a handicapped future the way it has been for the last thirty years. Uh, I actually I'm grateful for every initiative where. Azerbaijanis and Armenians talk to each other. That's always that's always helpful. That always shows that we really. Uh, I mean, there are many similarities between our people. I think we need not forget that uh, there was a, there was a very painful past, and a most perhaps importantly, most recent past is very painful. Mm -hmm. I mean, up to the war, it's been occupation, displacement. I mean, I used to work for UNHCR, and, oh, I right, yeah. many, and I visited many IDP camps and people who grew up in displacement. It's very painful. I mean, these people have never seen their homeland, and it is, this is tough. But even there, even there, when I would meet with people who've been forcefully displaced, their relatives were killed, I couldn't believe that when you talk to people, they would say, you know, we want to go back, we want to live with their neighbors, we want peace, we want to be, you know, we want to build a peaceful neighborhood. And if Armenians want to live with us, let it be, let us live together. I think that's, that's, that's the essence of uh, that's the essence of our region. That's how we should be. So if 
these initiatives, including uh, Brad Garden and others, could actually do something in terms of promoting mm. conversation. That's very important. But we have to be careful not to get carried away into this completely ideological fantasies in which we have this, you know, feel good conversations, do good conversations, and they really don't matter. What we need to focus on is how do we move forward as two countries trying to build a relationship in a, in a, in a world-damaged area. Yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. reality. Um, now, we had um, Richard Gurigosian uh, on our show. Or I'm not sure if we've even put it on, on the web yet because it's very fresh out. But what, and we asked him, um, you know, if Armenians could talk directly to people in power in, in Baku, you know, what would be their prime concern? And, and, and he seemed without a doubt to say that um, there's a great emotional um, feeling about the, uh, uh, I, I think it was a, a two or three dozen people that were considered either prisoners of war or detainees um, for various reasons, and he outlined some of them. Um, so here, we are, here I have a chance to put it to someone. Um, is, is, you know, what is it that's um, holding back the, the return of those people um, that we perhaps don't understand? And, you know, uh, how, would we, how would we answer that question? Is, is it perhaps they are going to be released at some point? Uh, Mark, that's a, that's a good question. I actually understand the emotion, you know, after the war, of course, there's a certain emotional trauma, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome in, uh, in, uh, in Armenia. That's understandable. Uh, but let us look back a little bit and think about this. For 30 years, Azerbaijanis have suffered. There's actually something very dramatic that happened. Think about this. For 30 years, Azerbaijan has been occupied. Our people have been displaced. The entire occupied area was destroyed. I mean, I've, I was there just recently. It's, com it's completely destroyed. It's, it's just, I've never seen anything like this. Despite that, basically the next day after cessation of hostilities, the next day, the president of a country which had been damaged, occupied, destroyed, President Ali, who just won the war and was able to do to say many things. What he said first was, let's build peace. Let's move forward. Let's, let's try to come together and let's sign all these communication agreements, uh, economic. I mean, that really doesn't happen. People don't notice how remarkable it is that mm. overnight, the president of a winning country, victorious country, which just recovered its territories, which won enormous work, which is still damaged by three decades of occupation and pain, and just losing about 3,000 people, the youngest, the most bright, the most uh, dedicated people of Azerbaijan just lost them in a war. Right overnight, President of Azerbaijan says, look, we know it's painful, we know it's difficult, but we need to move forward. And this is why I'm, uh, my advice to Richard is as well, and to my, uh, our neighbors in Armenia. Yes, the outstanding issue. And trust me, if we begin counting outstanding issues, we have many more. We have 4,000 yes. people missing. We have families who've been destroyed by occupation, displacement. If we focus on those, we will never move forward. Now, when it comes to detainees, many of them have committed crimes. They came to Azerbaijan after the peace agreement. Every time we say, can you guarantee that if we return them, they will not come back? They can't. That's one part of the story. So there is a special, there is a simplistic, simply said, there is a process to which, by the way, many of them have been returned. A very large numbers have been returned. There's something else which is also, awesome. 
Armenia today arrests people who were detained by Azerbaijan. So if my Armenian they, neighbors are truly, yes, they arrested about five to six people. They put them in jail after Azerbaijan returned them because they, for some reason, they're accusing of, I don't even understand what they're accusing of, spying and things like that. So we return the detainees. If you're so concerned about detainees, let's say uh, Richard and others, they should speak the truth. He should be equally concerned about them being returned, but also speak to the Armenian authorities. Why are these people who've been in detention in Azerbaijan after crossing the border illegally, returned by Azerbaijan as a part of uh, uh, international mediation negotiations, are now being arrested and imprisoned in Armenia? That's also a process which people need to understand. Mm. Overall, however, and okay, this is not really a minor issue. I don't want to dismiss, you know, it's a personal suffering that people who are involved as a human beings. I mean, you can't just dismiss that. Uh, however, we should also look on the bigger uh, thing. All those matters, all those issues should be resolved to a normal peace agreement. We need to move forward to a normalization of it. Uh, what, what, what boggles my mind, I can't understand why wouldn't Armenia today actually agree to normal delimitation process, to opening communications. Ha isn't that what they wanted all along? and to move forward to normal relation between two independent countries. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before. I, I don't think we immediately going to like each other very much, but we don't have to. Neighbors don't always like, I mean, we're not the only two neighbors in the world <laughs> which for the world, you know, I mean, it, that's not unique. Um, but what is unique, what is unique is the opportunity today for the first time in 30 years to actually begin building the partnerships in the region, new relationships, new integration, moving forward to build. And you know, Azerbaijan will be the engine of this development. Yes, and Azerbaijan has been engine of development for the region, for Georgia, for even for greater region for energy projects. But that's because the government of Azerbaijan, the leadership of Azerbaijan, beginning with Haider Ali and promoted by Ilham Ali, has taken certain policies, certain visions, certain approaches, which promote international cooperation. Look at Armenia today. Armenia's military defeat is only a part of a big state failure. It's a failed state. I mean, it doesn't control its own borders. It doesn't control its own military. Really. It, part of the, yes, the military defeat is the most painful, I guess, the most shocking experience Armenians have experienced recently. But the reality is everything was coming to this. They, they, they have external dependencies. They're a weak country which has never really realized its promise of independence. So today it could become an independent country, but for that there needs to be a peace agreement with Azerbaijan. And, and Richard and other friends, in, uh, his friends in Armenia know this. Mm. I mean, he, there, there, there are many intelligent people in Armenia, they understand. And so if he's honest, uh, he should also look at how do we move forward and build a peaceful neighborhood. Another, a little while earlier, we, we also had on this podcast Gela Bejuashvili, who was um, formerly the, the, the Georgian uh, foreign minister. Um, one of the ideas he said had been floated a long time ago and never went anywhere, but, but still sounded to me as an idealist on a more geopolitical long term, was this idea of, of, of a Benelux-like uh, situation, you know, obviously a long way down the road, but somehow just as these sort of problems in Northern Ireland were really helped when the UK was in the EU in that it sort of, by, by becoming some part of something bigger, it sort of took away focus on the, uh, on the smaller scale. Well, I mean, it's still important, but, but the, uh, uh, the, the conflict within Ireland. Do, do you think 
longer term that some an, a solution of that type might have any legs, or is that all entirely too idealistic? No, that's good. We have a what you mentioned that you actually have a Harvard Harvard Fletcher synergy here because I, I believe Gilbert went to Harvard and uh, at the same cold cold winter I was at Fletcher in Boston. Um, they're very good. They're very deep thinkers, but they're a little bit too idealistic. But Fletcher is <laughs> a little bit more focused on practicality. I think this is very much possible. I think, uh, indeed, that's, that, that is at the core of two matters. One is a peace agreement and opening communication links between Azerbaijan and, um, uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia. And by the way, we endorse now. We now endorse, fully endorse, opening of the Armenia-Turkish border and beginning of the communication. In fact, we advocate, we, we endorse it much more than some in Armenia I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. And the reason is because, as you said, we want to have something bigger. Uh, we want to have, I mean, this, there are certain uh, projects like three plus three uh, in the region in which uh, Russia, Turkey, Iran, uh, and Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia uh, will work together uh, on uh, integration pro pro uh, processes. So, I mean, there is always, there, there are now so many initiatives to enlarge the pipeline. And Azerbaijan is at the center and a promoter of all of them. We, I, I, I agree with Gilbert. The issue is down to uh, logistics of it. I actually, of course, it is up to my, our Georgian neighbors, friends, and very good friends, uh, partners, to, uh, to decide whether they want to join the agreements or not. But it's clearly in the best interest of Georgia as well. And I, and I hope that the Georgians do join this agreement, uh, this format, because that is exactly what we need. You know, Gil is absolutely right. He's no, a good um, man, by the way. Yes. No, I, despite, despite going to Harvard, you know. <laughs> despite being on the wrong side of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, now, uh, change, changing tack just a little bit. Um, I, I must admit, I, 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 I'm embarrassed that I have even looked in the Daily Mail website, but I actually saw your face uh, just a few days ago, um, it, it, photos on the on the Daily Mail website, and in fact uh, across the press in general. And it was something to do with. Now I haven't really followed the story very much, but it's something to do with what what sort of uh, more anti-Azerbaijan media tend to call caviar diplomacy. Apparently, um, there's a chap called Henry Cuella, Cuella, um, who is undergoing some kind of FBI um, search of his house. And the the press was linking it to, to some kind of probe into Azerbaijan. Now, I have to say, uh, as I've been reading, I haven't worked out whether that's actually proven, if there is any kind of such uh, probe into Azerbaijan or what's going on. But anyway, there you were in, in the press. And I was just wondering if there's anything you'd like to say about this. Well, thank you, Mark. First of all, you saw that the photo ABC News and Yahoo News uh, shared is from 2013. And I look much younger and much better than I do now. So I'm actually grateful. Uh, there's no gray hair you could see. I, I, you know, I, I was a little bit more fit at that time. Uh, quite nostalgic, to be honest. Uh, I uh, let me say this: I, I cannot uh, comment on whatever investigation is there. It's a domestic matter for the United States. It's the law enforcement matter, and we respect the process. I understand. Congressman said the same thing that he is fully cooperating, and uh, he also didn't comment. But let me say a couple of things about situation in general and uh, Congressman Coelho. Congressman Coelho is a great friend, personal friend. I 
have a deep respect for him. I think he's a uh, he's a very he's a man of great integrity, great man, uh, very good person, and he is a co-chair of Azerbaijan Caucus in Congress. So the four co-chairs in Congress is one of of the four people. And I think and you should I just tell. Very, can you just tell people what that is? Because I I think for 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 a lot of people they won't know. You know, for me, Caucus is is the mountains, but this is Caucus as in a, a special interest group, right? It, within within the U.S. Congress. C A U C U S. It's a Caucus. I mean, U.S. Congress has hundreds, if not thousands, of Caucus. There are Bill Lovers Caucus. There are Whiskey Caucus. Uh, which, by the way, is a very good caucus. Bourbon caucus. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a fun one to so, be in. <laughs> it's actually a fun one, yes. I, I know folks from Kentucky. I, you know, they, they kept trying to get me into this. I told them I'm not a member of Congress. But uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a famous uh, infamous, in some ways, Armenian caucus, which keeps uh, putting, you know, all kinds of things into against Azerbaijan, uh, U, U.S. partition. And there's, of course, Azerbaijan caucus. And I, I, from what I understand, uh, and I don't, I didn't really look exactly, but Mr. Coelho and other co-chairs, other three co-chairs, are members of many different caucuses. I, I'm, I'm personally grateful to Congressman Coelho for his contribution to both the U.S.-Azerbaijan partnership, which is very valuable, and for promoting the U.S. interests in our region. I mean, think, things he's been promoting uh, as a member of the caucus, by the way, not by himself, along with others, is to provide energy security for Europe, which turned out to be a visionary approach to Southern Gas Corridor. You know how much it helped countries in Eastern Europe, how much this approach is good in terms of uh, ensuring alternative supplies and energy independence and security in the European area. He, you know, we met, of course, and I met with hundreds of members of Congress. I, I don't know if everybody has a photo, but normally we do. That's a part of our job, to go and meet with people to build friendships and to build relationships. Once again, the some the other many good friends I have in Congress, I have deep respect for them. I think I have a once again deep respect for Mr. Coelho, great friend. Uh, I consider him to be a personal friend. I'm very proud of our uh, personal friendship. I would I want to say something else. People in the United States today, especially you know recently, well, because of this online thinking, Twitter and all the social media and certain politicization within the society, which obviously everybody sees, are very much focused on politics alone, which is political dimension. People stop being people. People stop being persons, human beings. They become this political, you know, characters almost. And you have this cartoonish perception of people on both sides. Well, we're all humans. I tell you something. What uh, Now people talk about uh, Congressman Coelho's hometown of Laredo. Laredo is a beautiful community. I actually, you know what I hope? Now, given the spotlight on Laredo, people actually learn about Laredo. People know what Laredo, Texas is. People ask themselves, what is this place? Great community, fantastic people. By the way, excellent Mexican food, the best Mexican food you could get in America. I'll tell you things I learned about Laredo people don't know. The most, the most prominent, the largest celebration of George Washington's birthday in the United States including a beautiful colonial pageant uh, with deputantes, is not in Virginia, which you would assume. It is in Laredo. I, nobody, nobody, nobody really knows why Laredo celebrates it. But for hundreds of years, people of Laredo have been celebrating George Washington's birthday in a fantastic way. And I think every American should go and see that. That's a, mm. that's a great mm. thing. 
It's a beautiful small town. And by the way, what people don't know, they always say six flags over Texas. There will be a seventh flag over Texas. And that is the Republic of Rio Grande, where the cap with the capital in Laredo at some point. People should learn that. This is this is a story of Laredo. Mm -hmm. This is why um, people should know more about this environment, more about the city. It's not just about politics, sure. it's about sure. food. Now, um, it's. I think it's what July that you 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 um, left after about ten years in the states, and you moved to London. So, so, what's all these rumors that you skipped town, as it were? Is it, uh, this is somehow kind of you were drummed out of town because of some relationship to to what was going on? Um, to, what, I, what, I, what would you say to I, that? I, you know, you could. Um, this actually is one of the deeper conspiracy theories you could come up with. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, first of all, nobody. It's it's an ongoing process, you know. Uh, much more, uh, much longer. A moving ambassador takes much longer preparation. There's actually a lot of preparatory work, including agreements and all this. So I mean, of course, it has been in the works for much longer. Uh, also, I've been in the United States for ten years. That's pretty long. I mean, that's pretty long. And by you kind of know it's a two ambassador terms. I'm, I was pretty much done. Uh, <laughs> yes. But the, 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 there's actually. The funny part of it, uh, which Armenian uh, lobbyists forget to remind uh, people, the Armenian, my counterpart, the Armenian ambassador, Baruja, left town 10 days before I did. And he was appointed ambassador from Washington to London 10 days in that, before I did. So <laughs> did he skip town too? I don't know why. Did he, did, he wanna, did he know something was happening? He couldn't live without me? I don't know. But the, the most ironic part of it, speaking of people who really skipped town, the president of Armenia, president of Armenia, just announced his resignation. And by all accounts, because the British citizen has property in London, he's moving to London. Now he's really skipping town because he basically said, I can't stand it anymore. I'm not, I, I really don't like being here. I really don't like Armenia anymore. That nothing works. So it is, it is a great irony that while the Armenian uh, lobby started to promote some quite uniquely deep, deeply seated. Conspiracies. The old Armenian's own president is skipping town, his home uh, capital of Yerevan, moving to London, and the Armenian ambassador from Washington moved here before I did. So <laughs> it sounds yeah, like you're going to have some fun parties. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, we've known each other for a while, so I mean, that's and, and, and that that shows something which is really, uh, I think, it has a deeper problem, and a deeper mm. problem is that. For some diaspora activists, and definitely not for the entire diaspora, Armenian diaspora, and for some Armenian political um, radicals, and again, that, that doesn't go for the entire, we have to make a distinction between uh, you know, Armenians living abroad, Armenian community in different places who could be fine people, I mean, and the political activists who actually exploit the vulnerabilities uh, and, and sensitivities of that community trying to play for their own, uh, basically, their own political and sometimes financial benefit. So look at this. Mm. What they do is they don't talk about anything that faces Armenia. I mean, shouldn't the resignation of an Armenian president who says that I can no longer take what's happening in Armenia, for one reason or another, I mean, whether he's right or wrong, I don't know. It's an Armenian issue. But isn't that should be the subject of discussion? Shouldn't they... Focus on what is the future of Armenia, why 160,000 people 
from Armenia just in year 2021 applied for a green card and want to leave their country permanently? What's happening in Armenia? Instead of that, instead of thinking, how can we ensure that Armenia and Azerbaijan live in peace? So finally, the people of Armenia, just citizens of that country, have a bright future or a chance for a future. What they're focusing is negativity. They choose their enemies, be it Suleimanov, be it uh, Kuala, be it the leadership of Azerbaijan, be it someone else. That's what they focus on. I mean, look at their rhetoric. So instead of trying to support and help this Armenia, which is today a formally independent country and has a chance to become an independent country, truly in, in a true sense, through cooperation with its neighbors, just like all of us, the focus is on negativity. I don't. I don't fully know why it's happening. I mean, you could understand there's a will of political, uh, you know, a rehearsal of political benefits. It's the it's a habit, but things have changed. We go back. These qualities have failed, and they did not just fail generally uh, in abstract. They failed Armenia as a country. That's why today it's a failed state that that culminated in a military defeat. It of course did not fail activists within Armenian diaspora. And uh, it it made you know, and some people they support in the caucus in the in the mm -hmm. Armenian caucus. I'll give you examples. But for instance, they criticize the leadership of uh, Azerbaijani caucus in Congress. But what they forget is that at no point, at no point has ever anything the leaders of uh, Azerbaijan caucus suggested ever contradicted the interests of the United States. While everything, well, not everything, but many things. The leaders of Armenian caucus suggest contradict the interests of the United States. I mean, at the end of the day, we go back that Armenia is not an independent country. To I mean, borders are not controlled uh, controlled by foreign uh, troops. They, they have military bases from a foreign uh, country. Although they don't talk about this, they 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 only focus at disrupting the relationship with Azerbaijan between U.S. and Azerbaijan, and that's a very sad story because to that you cannot. I really built much of a sustainable future. Well, that is that is true. But I, I so just to, if we can get on on go back to the slightly more optimistic mood. I, my feeling is that that hopefully that we're getting nearer to a position where the power of people with those negative views is is becoming more overwhelmed by by a sense of there is a chance to now move forward for a peaceful future. Would you, would, do, do you, you know, you, you have much better sense of it. My, my sort of feeling is that there must be that people are really real, realising that that has to be the way forward. And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the longer term hopes of, of everything becoming a lot better once the countries pull together. You know, you, you have much more of an inside knowledge. Can you feel that the sentiment is slowly heading that way? I think I think it's still 50-50. I think yes. I mean, they're obviously much more understanding now. Unfortunately, that understanding came to a defeat in the military campaign. Uh, but it was inevitable, as President Ali pointed out, and part of it was that international negotiations, unfortunately, did not produce mm -hmm. uh, much of the outcome. And I, I've known many of the negotiators, mediators personally, in the United States, and uh, you know, it's. On a personal level, they're good people, they tried, but they didn't produce anything. So as a result of what happened, there's now inevitability. They understand, I think many people understand, including in Armenia, that that's the way forward. Now, whether there's a political will, whether they can over time, we're racing almost in time, but with time. But also, let's go back to what we mentioned earlier. 
if Azerbaijanis and the leadership of Azerbaijan can overcome the pain and frustration of all what happened over the last 30 years and often offer peace and a peace agreement and the limitation, it's time for Armenia to do the same. I do hope that you're correct, uh, that there's a growing number of people uh, in Armenia, the sentiment is that they want normals. And you, you could feel that. I mean, I think if you talk to people, I have seen some interviews with people in the states of Yerevan and other places. I mean, they do understand that. Now, the, the key factor here, which the propaganda and Armenian will be outside tries to obscure, is exactly what you said. You just put your finger on it. And that is that the promotion of hatred and division has failed. I mean, that didn't produce anything. Unfortunately for them, unfortunately for Armenia and for the rest of our region, despite all the efforts, despite all the, uh, all the conspiracy theories, including Skipping Town and all that, you know, all, all of this has been a failure. They have not been able to produce it. And because they, and I'll tell you why, because the end goal is negative. So if you ask, if you ask them like this, what do you want? What do you want to achieve? They, they can't say, they want to say, we don't want this, we don't want that, we don't want that, we don't want that. But you say, how do you, I mean, what do you actually want? That's a very basic mediation technique, uh, basic, very basic negotiation. If you sit down and ask them, what's your end goal? What do you want to achieve? How, and, and how realistic and how are you going to achieve? There is no explanation. Yeah. Well, what we offer, and I think many people in Armenia now accept and internationally accept, is we know what we want. We want to integrate the region, we want to open in communication, peace agreement, and living in peace with neighbors. And we know how to do that. It, well, all it takes is a political will and understanding. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful note in which to leave it. And I, I, I love that sentiment. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us at, at relatively short notice. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been watching the Caspian podcast, and I hope you'll join us again very shortly. Thanks very much indeed, Ellen. Mm-hmm.